I don't think there's a character as as dangerous as Jinx that I've seen in quite some time. That is just that at any given moment you're very afraid of, but also at any given moment that you're kind of sympathetic towards, which is very interesting. Hello, my name is David Shire, and welcome back to How It's Going So Far, the podcast where we give out recommendations to Netflix TV shows, apparently. That's what we're doing right now, at least for these next couple of weeks. Uh, So, uh, as some of you may know, if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, uh, on Thanksgiving, I went to go visit my father in Montana. And uh, there's not a lot to do in Montana. There's basically, um, it's just like this very small towny vibe. Uh, What was really interesting about it for me personally was... was uh, they call it Big Sky Country. And the reason why they call it that is because um, there is really no skyline per se. So, for example, I live in Seattle, Washington. There's a bunch of trees. There's a bunch of mountains. There's things to look at when you look look all around you. Uh, there's nice, beautiful buildings. And y- you look around and you see all this beautiful nature stuff. Uh, you go to Montana and basically all you see is sky. It is literally just Big Sky Country. There, you look to the left, there's sky. You look, you look up, well, obviously there's sky. You look to the right, there's sky. You know, it, there's not a lot to do in Montana. Uh, it was especially bad because I didn't have a car. And so I was basically stuck at my uh, dad's house. I could go walk around the block with, uh, my, uh, with his dog, Angie. But it was, uh, there was not a lot to do. So what I ended up doing one of the days is I ended up binging a show called Arcane. Now, what is Arcane exactly? Well, Arcane is a show that was based off of a video game. And I know what you're thinking. A video game-based property turning into a different property? That sounds terrible, David. And it's like, yeah, most of the time it is. I mean, you look at stuff like Super Mario Bros. You look at stuff like, uh, well, I I don't know, like um, Sonic the Hedgehog movie was okay. It was probably one of the better ones, sadly. (laughs) Um, You look at other, uh, like, I'm not super excited for the Uncharted movie, though it does look like it could be good. Uh, The Tomb Raider movies, uh, historically bad. Uh, But I decided to give this show a shot because I've been hearing a lot of buzz. Um, I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about it, even though the whole concept and the video game it's based off of isn't necessarily something I like. Uh, what the game, what the show is based off of is this, uh, video game, this small video game developed by an indie developer, <laughs> um, uh, Riot Games, uh, it's called League of Legends and League of Legends has kind of this weird history of being one of the most toxic gaming communities in the world. And so, and so I think, I think it was specifically designed, uh, by aliens to see if the human race was actually worth investing in as like a property, you know? We're like the cryptocurrency to these aliens, right? And they gave us this technology to see. Uh, we they gave us this amazing uh, uh, multiplayer online game just to see how well we work together, how well we would uh, communicate and do teamwork. And ultimately, we failed that test quite miserably. So that's why they've only been showing up in NASA photos and haven't like abducted any of us yet. Uh, but anyway, so so the what's really smart about Arcane and what I really think was a really good decision by Riot Studios is that the lore in League of Legends, like the backstory in League of Legends is very minimal. Like the way the game plays is it's like a top-down hero controller and you basically are helping your minions go from one side of the board to the other. Now, of course, there's like more advanced strategies, like uh, there's stuff called jungling where basically you run into the jungle and kill creatures and that's how you mine for gold and whatever. Uh, There's... um, 
There's uh, ganking, which is where you basically everyone has kind of their assigned lanes, and then uh, eventually, eventually, what you could do is you can flank. Well, you can flank them. I don't know why it's called ganking, uh, but uh, but uh, uh, maybe I should have looked it up more. But I, I didn't really feel like going too deep in League Le- League of Legends uh, gameplay because gameplay really doesn't matter. Uh, there isn't a lot of backstory. Uh, League of Legends was kind of famous for uh, introducing a lot of different types of heroes. So, for example, you would have somebody that was a ninja, and you're like, okay, this makes sense in this world, so I guess this is a ninja world. Then you have, like, magicians and stuff like that. Uh, then they started adding pirates, and then they started adding, like, like uh, these small animal creatures. And so what would happen, or what happened was is that uh, League of Legends... Uh, Riot Games would start producing like uh, lore manuals and basically codex entries for all these different champions. And uh, pretty much all that uh, is gone now. It's starting to come back because of the TV show. But for a brief time, like League of Legends wrote all this different lore and context. And it started not making sense within its own lore and context how all these different and weird, uh, unique types of champions were fighting with each other. And so there wasn't really cohesion with the story and plot. And so people were just it didn't really stop the popularity of the game, though. The game went on to be a massive success. It's one of the number one esports. Uh, has giant events across the year. Uh, has had giant events across the years and really kind of jump started the esports uh, genre. I mean, every once in a while, I'll turn on ESPN uh, at two two in the uh, at two p.m. when there's nothing else on, and sometimes you'll still see like active League of Legends players and it being broadcast on ESPN, which is insane. Uh, I, I personally believe, but. And it still holds a pretty good following uh, today. Um, in the year of 2021, it was reported that it would have 115 million active users, uh, monthly users in 2021, which is still pretty healthy. Uh, and it's and I think that what the show Arcane is trying to do and uh, the strategy behind having Arcane uh, as a show is it's trying to get more people involved in the League of Legends community. And it's kind of building out the world and better structuring out the lore and stuff like that and making it more palatable. And my golly, they did a really, really good job, and which is, which is uh, why I highly recommend it. So if you want to go into it blind, that's pretty much my... I do recommend it. Uh, the biggest things that I would say are positives about the show is the animation... Uh, is the number one thing that everybody brings up about it uh, to a point where it's kind of kind of just funny. You have to bring it up, uh, but it is the number one thing. They combine a mixture of 3D and 2D animation, and I guess the way to say to best explain it is that the characters are clearly 3D models. Uh, they move around like 3D models, but it's very smooth and elegant. But then every once in a while, like let's say a p- character gets punched or uh, they pick up sand, they use a 2D animated uh, sand picking up effect, which makes which gives us this really unique flair that I've not seen in another show. I think it's one of the more in- most impressively animated shows since Into the Spider Verse that I've seen, and that's like the only comp I can give it where. It, it was just so un- it's so unique for what it is like it there's nothing quite like it that I've seen uh, in a major production uh, I also think that uh, the storyline is very excellent uh, if you, again if you want to just go in completely blind uh, it deals with a lot of themes of uh, war uh, chaos it deals with themes of uh, progress which I found was the most interesting theme and how progress in in a way, it's it's like everything else in the world, right? There's a dichotomy to it. Progress can be something that's really good and used for good, but if taken too far into such an extreme, it becomes a problem. And and one of the characters kind of perfectly sums up this uh, this debate 
uh, Victor, who is uh, a scientist who's who helps out our main scientist, Jace. They both create this uh, interesting technology called Hextech, which is basically they have these uh, gemstones that generate magic energy, and they're able to harness technology to make the gemstones uh, do, be able to do uh, more magnificent things. So, for example, they make a... Uh, they make these gloves that they're able to control that typically would be like thousands of pounds heavy, but they use the power of magic to make it a little bit lighter. And it's supposed to help out people dig out, um, dig out and use in like fissure mines and uh, things like that nature. But eventually what happens is that with all great technology, it comes with a cost and, uh, and things start happening in the series. And Victor remarks that uh, maybe the most powerful line in the series is that in our quest, in our quest to do in our quest to be great, we forgot to do good. Um, or it's paraphrasing that saying. But I just think that that's kind of the whole theme of that arc of the show. And even though it is kind of the sub arc, I think it's it's equally as interesting as the main arc between um, the two lead characters, uh, Vi and Jinx. I think that is just as interesting as that arc, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more in this kind of more spoilery section. So... Arcane, Arcane is one of is maybe one of the most impressive world building aspects of it, and the entire show revolves around this world of these two political uh, locations. Uh, the two locations are Piltover and uh, Zon, and or also uh, frequently referenced in the show as the Undercity. And before Zon and Piltover have even before the like the main story kicks off. It's very clear that there's a lot of uh, political tension and just like tension between uh, Zahn and Piltover. Uh, we start the very first scene off uh, seeing uh, Vi uh, and Jinx, pretty much our, new, our two main characters, uh, on a bridge and everything is just horrible, right? You see uh, soldiers from Piltover uh, uh, brutally murdering people. Vi and uh, Powder, uh, or aka Jinx, uh, she's going by Powder right now uh, for reasons we'll talk about later. Uh, uh, they they're walking on this bridge. Their parents have just died, and uh, eventually they get picked up by another uh, member of uh, Zon, uh, the leader of Zon, uh, in Vander. They get picked up, and they start getting taken away. And you can see Vi look over in the city of Piltover, and it's just this bright, shining space. And you see them walking back into the darkness, and that's how the whole entire story starts off with this very much this really deep and gravelly kind of opening, which I really appreciate. Like this is not a show for kids. Uh, I was talking to a parent about this actually, where uh, a parent was. I was talking to him, and I was I was recommending the show to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I watched it actually," and I was like really excited to hear his take on it. And he said he really enjoyed it. And the reason why he watched it was because uh, his kids really wanted to watch it, but he wasn't quite sure if it was good enough, for, like, or if it was uh, safe for his kids to watch because they're like, you know, not super old. And so he ends up watching it. And he's like, "Yeah, I loved it, but it was a little intense for kids." And I would say that it, this is not a show for kids necessarily. It deals with some pretty heavy themes. The action and the music is pretty great, but you you got to be a little bit careful with that. Uh, but anyway, so going back to the main show, the the focus of uh, the way the show released was it released in three episode increments, uh, which is a good, um, I think it's probably a good way to watch it. Uh, the first three episodes are, uh, are well, the first episode I think is kind of comes off as a bit generic, but also real, but still really good. I mean, the animation quality never dips at all in the show, uh, but it really starts kicking off in the second episode. And by the third episode, you're just completely hooked in and uh, it really, it really pulls a wool, wool over you, right? It, um, 
it really does a really good job of, of doing that. And so, and it really focuses, the show spends a really good time focusing on the, our main leads, Vi and Powder. And we see their relationship as sisters kind of grow. You see that Vi is very much the protector and she will do pretty much anything for Powder. She'll constantly defend her. She has a, a few slip ups here and there, but for the most part, that's her job. Whereas Powder is somebody that is constantly trying to help and trying to be like a good party member uh, in their kind of uh, little rogues gallery with her, Milo, and um, gosh, now I can't remember his name. Uh, her, Milo, and uh, the big guy. <laughs> We're just going to call him that for now. Uh, and you see you see that Powder is always trying to constantly help, but unfortunately, Powder just isn't quite big enough, isn't quite strong enough. Uh, she invents these kind of little cute uh, detonation devices, uh, like bombs, basically, but they're adorable. Uh, she, she creates these things that are supposed to help out, but they never work. And, um, and Milo ends up calling her Jinx because of that, right? So that's kind of the groundwork for that. Uh, so that's kind of the focus on our main heroes. Uh, the secondary story and the sub story that's also equally interesting is uh, Jace and is a story between Jace and Victor. Now, Jace is very much like a, a happy go lucky 24, 25 year old who wants to make uh, the world of Piltover a better place. And what the show does really well, too, is that Piltover very much in the opening shots is shown as like this bright blue eyed city. It's very beautiful. And then halfway through the first episode, you see uh, them go back into the city of Zaun, the Undercity, and it's just so gross and grimy and disgusting. You know, you see brothels, you see like all these different things going on that you would never see in Piltover. And so having these kind of two separate sides and showing both sides of things uh, through different uh, people is really interesting uh, to me. So Jason Victor, what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring more progress to uh, the city of Piltover. Now, Piltover uh, has like this whole this whole thing where the head of Piltover, uh, Heimeldinger, is part of this thing called the council, which there's like, I think, seven seats. And they they basically built this city as a city of progress. They wanted to build it so that it was just strictly based on science. It's very steampunk esque. But what Jace, what happened with with Jace is that as a kid, he was saved by somebody with magic. And so he wants to figure out a way to harness magic with technology because typically you're innately born with magical abilities. But Jace is like, nah, I don't like that noise. Let's 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 figure out how to inject Mandal uh, Metachlorians in people uh, and figure this out, except he doesn't really inject anything. The way it works is that he has like these stones and the stones contain magical energy and he's able to um, use technology to bring the magical energy out of those stones with runes and stuff like that. And and as kind of the story ramps up, uh, uh, not they're both pretty much completely um I don't know, dichotomous. They they don't interact super uh, a lot in Act One, but as Act Two kind of progresses, um, it really the stories start colliding, and it becomes like these really interesting, these interesting, um, like it just becomes way more interesting. You know, you see Victor very early on, uh, who who is a cripple from Zon, and you see his kind of point of view of wanting to use hex tech to help people in the city of Zon, but he also has kind of his own motivation own motivations uh you see you see how uh how dangerous hex tech can become when used in the wrong hands and it's what really works uh, above the animation this is what really works for me is just seeing how how these interesting conflicts come about and how they come about really naturally 
seeing all these different characters do good things, do bad things, do, you know, okay things. Like, Jace, Jace very much can come off as, like, a very happy-go-lucky die, but some of the things that he ends up doing is... Um, is kind of really like really quite bad when you look at it. Uh, it's really quite jerky. Uh, but you could still argue for Jace's point, saying like like hey, like he had to do that, right? And that's what makes a character great is when you have elements of a character that's not good that you you personally believe. You say okay, that was not a good thing for him to do. But then somebody else is like yeah, but like think about this point of view, and you're like okay, now I have to consider that, right? Uh, that's when that's when you introduce that complexity to the characters, and it is something that makes uh, that makes the show good. Even Doctor uh, Heimeldinger, Jace's mentor, is one of my favorite characters. Not only because he's like a cute furry little animal that just like walks around, and I, I love I love watching him, but he 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 is very much somebody that is against Jace and his ideas of progress, and he is somebody that's lived for four hundred years. He's seen how magic can destroy like civilizations and you could see the potential of Jace uh, and his technology and how it can improve lives. But he also can see the, the, uh, the uh, Hiroshima, right? He could see the, he could see the destructive power that that kind of technology can create. And even though, even though you might agree some more with Jace and his points of view, maybe you might agree more with Dr. Heimeldinger's point of view. It becomes like this really interesting clash between two different philosophies that leave that still leave you thinking about it way after the show is over. Um, so, so that was kind of like uh, my base uh, analogy of what the show re- is about. And now we're going to go kind of more into deeper spoilers, and we're going to talk about. Uh, I believe, how many characters I have? Four of my favorite characters of the show and talk about specifically their plot points that I really love and that I'm really looking forward to seeing in a season two, which has already been greenlit, thank goodness. And we're going to be talking about that. So, and maybe like talking about like these character archetypes and how how they are different and enough to make it so it feels fresh. So let's talk about Vi specifically. I would say that Vi, for the most part, is the... I would say main protagonist of the show. Uh, she does get left out of an episode. That's why I'm very hesitant, uh, where she basically is completely sidelined for one episode, but then shows up at the very end. And Vi, but ultimately, I think that Vi is w- maybe is maybe my favorite example of a strong female character. Now, I should say pre- preface this: I am I am not a female. Uh, and I'm afraid my my thoughts can be uh, seen as misogynistic, and I don't I don't want to come off that way. But I do think there is a difference between uh, strong female characters and not so strong female characters in a sense of how they're written and how they're portrayed on film. Uh, the way I always see it is that, uh, in the way that a lot of like fanboy guys can see it, is I would say it's the difference between somebody like a Captain Marvel and a Wonder Woman. Though I think it might be the difference between somebody like a Captain Wonder Woman and Vi in the future, but uh, let's like let's really talk about that. So Captain Marvel very much is a strong female character in the sense that she is very powerful, and and she just has moments where she beats up uh, beats up men specifically. Uh, but her character, but she doesn't really have much of a character arc in her movie. She basically starts the movie very powerful. She beats up a lot of people, uh, from what I can remember, and she also, she also just kind of, you know, she kind of waltzes her way from the movie. There's like this whole amnesia subplot that kind of explains her lack of personality in her movie, and it ultimately takes away so much from that character. And I wish that they were able, 
when I watched the movie the first when I watched Captain Marvel for the first time, I wish there was more personality behind the the character of Captain Marvel, and there's a lot more they could have done with character work. Uh, her friend, for example, like uh, in the movie, definitely had way more personality than her, and she only shows up for like ten minutes or so. Like, and so that's where that's where I'm kind of having that issue. I even th- find that the um, the little girl in Captain Marvel ends up going on to be in WandaVision. That's spoiler alerts for WandaVision. But even she had a lot more character. She had uh, these really interesting deep dive moments uh, in her show, and she was able to overcome that. But Captain Marvel never feels vulnerable. She never feels like somebody that is uh, ever threatened in her movie uh, in any sort of way, like emotionally or not. And that's why I don't really particularly like her as a strong female character archetype uh, versus somebody like Wonder Woman. Like you look at Wonder Woman and what makes Wonder Woman interesting in both her movies is that, yes, she very much is also a very much invulnerable human being, right? Like there's so many scenes of Wonder Woman where she's deflecting bullets. She's doing like all this crazy stuff. But emotionally, Wonder Woman is very much more so vulnerable. And that's what I like so much about her character in the first movie and in the second movie. Um, even though the second movie wasn't like as critically received, I thought that her uh, Gal Gadot's performance as Wonder Woman and kind of her arc in that movie was really interesting. Uh, like the first movie, she was very much a fish out of water, very naive, and it shows, right? She's trying to understand what's going on with World War One, and and she thinks that it's all because of this cosmic deity uh, thing with Ares, right? She thinks that if she destroys Ares, then World War One's going to be over. And then that's like the root cause of the issue. And what she learns throughout the movie is that, no, that wasn't the cause of the issue. The cause of the issue is that humans just like killing each other. And it's it's kind of this really bleak realization. Uh, and it's one that I kind of wish the movie kind of stuck with, um, as opposed to like going on with like a 3D battle. Uh, but it was like this really interesting kind of reveal. And seeing Wonder Woman kind of deal with that naivete and learning and growing and kind of becoming a little bit more hardened by the world was so much more interesting. And then you combine that with Wonder Woman 2 or Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, they just skipped so many numbers there. But you combine you combine that with her kind of arc of uh, kind of letting go. Like Steve had just died. She has been grieving him for years and years and years. And uh, really, the issue that she presents in that story is, yes, they do depower her a bit. But what's more interesting about the fact that they depower her is that it's her choice. Like the reason why she loses her powers in the movie is because she can't she can't be with Steve, right? If as long as Steve is alive, she cannot fully use her powers, and I think that that's a very interesting emotional conflict that is presented in this character. Now, Vi very much has a lot of lot of interesting and and deeply rooted issues, right? Uh, Vi Vi comes off to me as somebody that is very angry and very rebellious against the world, and sometimes to her own detriment. Uh, there's a lot of times also where Vi gets beat up really badly, uh, where she rushes into a situation and uh, and gets like uh, in, in one situation in episode five, she gets in a fight with this girl uh, Savika, and she kind of rushes in, and it's pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie, where she just basically knees <laughs> Savika in the face. It was pretty sick, but. Ultimately, she doesn't really think her her way through the entire fight. She kind of lets her guard down at one point, and she ends up getting stabbed, uh, which is quite bad, I, I imagine. Uh, getting stabbed, not not a fun experience. Zero out of ten on uh, on the Yelps, I'm imagining. And so, her her character flaw with being brash and not really thinking through kind of the geopolitical side of things is presented 
as an issue and kind of a critique on her character. Uh, in one of the fight scenes uh, that we'll talk about later, uh, she ends up like something incredibly terrible happens in the fight scene. And it's very much clear that Vi is completely heartless towards this. And she is willing to burn the world in order to get what she wants. And I find that really compelling as a character arc to see, to see kind of Vi grow. Um, she does learn a little bit about um, accepting people of Piltover, but it's very gradual. And you, at the end of the series, you don't feel like it's completely true. Uh, her relationship with Caitlin is also very interesting. In that sense, it helps her kind of relate to the people of Piltover and uh, gives her gives her a very much uh, compelling reason to kind of uh, flip onto that side uh, in this conflict. But ultimately, ultimately, what I really love about Vi is just she is just so unabashedly awesome in so many scenes. And it, it never feels like she's getting compared to anybody. She's not being compared to a man or showing how much how much uh, women are better than men. She is just kicking butt and it is super awesome to watch. And it, it gives me great joy. Any scene that she is in where she is just punching somebody. It's great. And it's, it's why uh, it's just, it's, she's just so freaking cool with her giant boxing gloves. All right. So we're talking about Vi. Let's talk about the other sub character uh, and uh, the subplot character. Uh, we're going to talk about Jace. Now, Jace, 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 I wrote Jace, the defender of tomorrow. Uh, Jace, I think, would typically be like if the show was worse, I would think that Jace would be like the main uh, character in the show. But uh, but he's not. He's kind of relegated as a side. He's a side character with his own uh, story. He still is very much a protagonist. He shares like a lot of screen time, too. But I think that Jace is one of the more um, the more conflicted characters in the show as the show goes on. And he's honestly maybe my favorite outside of uh, Silco, who we'll get to in a little bit. Because he starts, like, the very start of his journey begins as a boy whose whose mother and him were saved by magic when they were traveling in the mountains, um, which is very weird. Like, like I don't know why Chase was, like, just up in the mountains traveling with his mom. Uh, <laughs> like, like uh, I, I wonder what the backstory is on that, and I kind of wish we had more detail why that was happening. Because you don't just find yourself in the mountains, right? You You have to, like, actively like be in the mountains walking in the mountains in order to get caught in the windstorm that he was caught in and it seems like there was technology like blimps and stuff like that so like was he like a refugee like i don't know like i want to learn a little bit more about that uh but but the whole point of that story is that jace really sees this potential in this magic and at times he ignores he ignores a simple fact about it is that magic can be very dangerous and that it can in the wrong hands can be can be used for great evil and so and so that's kind of Jace's main story. He starts off as very naive as well. And his two main struggles in the story is really his naivete and kind of learning and becoming a little bit more of a political figure as the show progresses. And um, and that very sense that he has to stop kind of being and um, he has to stop being a people pleaser in that sense. And also he also struggles very much with kind of his hot in the headedness. Like when Jace thinks that he's right about something, he'll he'll sometimes rush into situations and and try to do what he believes is the right thing, even though the situation might be more complex. Um, one of the big fights that happens in the show is when Jason Vi team up to take out one of Silco's underground um, uh, shimmer factories. And shimmer is this kind of thing where it's basically a drug that turns people into monsters for a bit and gives them like this extraordinary speed and power. And Jason Vi decide to destroy one of these manufacturers. And in this, in this moment, Jace 
accidentally kills an innocent boy. And it makes him the, realize the power of his technology. And it also really makes him realize the cost of war. Because he, he very much thinks very straightforwardly, okay, if I take out the bad guys, then that's it. You know, then, then we win. Good guys win. Hoorah. America. Flags. Fireworks. All that kind of stuff. But he doesn't realize, like, the cost of war is a lot more deep than that. There's going to be innocent lives lost. There's going to be... A, it's going to be this really, it's going to be all out panic and destruction and you're going to destroy families. And Jace kind of realizes that in that moment and in that moment, he decides to back down and use a more political situation that he might not have done earlier in the show. And what's interesting is the dichotomy between Vi and Jace in that matter. Like Jace kills a kid, he immediately regrets it. He immediately kind of goes back into to his political mode. Whereas Vi very much, like we were kind of touching on, is very heartless about it. She says that, you know what, people are going to die. And if that's the only real way that you can make change. And seeing these two characters clash and almost come to blows, like very closely. And I'm pretty sure Vi would have killed Chase <laughs> like in that moment had they come to bl- blows. Uh, I thought it was a really, it was a really interesting to see kind of that character clash in that moment there. Um, one of the, What's really also interesting about Jace and what I kind of referenced to earlier, too, is that he also does something very, very interesting. He makes a very interesting choice where he ends up becoming part of the council and Victor is kind of revealed who's Jace's like uh, uh, scientist buddy. He It's revealed buddy. I don't know. <laughs> he's, just, he's a scientist partner. Uh, he he reveals that he is dying from uh, from being uh, exposed as a kid to uh, Zahn because Zahn uh, and the Undercity... Uh, what's really interesting about it is that uh, the air in Zon and the Undercity is like pretty much you could tell is like polluted. Like it looks, it looks really, really bad. And even the enforcers that go down there to police that area, they always wear these masks to make sure that they get clean air. And it's it's kind of like this really fun and interesting like little detail that the show adds that I really enjoy. And there's like a ton of examples of that. Uh, like I've been, I think I've rewatched it twice now, and re- I even. Even rewatching the first episode again for a third time to introduce my friend to it, there's just like little things that I picked up on that I still really that were still really enjoyable. But anyway, going back to this conflict with Doctor Heimeldinger and Jace is that Jace can kind of see that he wants to use uh, Hextech to potentially save Victor's life, and Heimeldinger has seen like the latest invention that they've created and says, no, like we cannot do something like that. That thing that you've created is really, really dangerous. And we have to be really careful with that. And so Jace now having at this point, a lot of political power and sway because he has basically introduced a brand new line of technology and made everybody's lives so much better, uh, uses that political power to basically vote out Dr. Heimeldinger off of the council. And, it is a pretty brutal thing to do when you when you basically oust your own mentor. And in some ways, I feel really bad for Dr. Heimeldinger. Like it, it very much like the way that it's animated and his sad little face. Uh, it, it kills me. It kills a bit of me every time I see it. Uh, but at the same time, I can understand what Jace is coming from. And that, look, we have this technology. Like, why not use it? Like, we need to be able to to harness this this power and we can't stay stuck in the past we can't be constantly worried about what could happen and in some ways both of them are right but you feel like everybody loses in this moment and it's this re- it's one of my favorite moments of the season and i will and it really cements to me why jace is one of my favorite characters it was because of how how simple he comes off as is how unassuming but also how emotionally complex that he he is and 
his decision making throughout the show is just really fascinating to me. Um, what uh, my last favorite uh, scene that Jace has for me is that the scene where he decides to use his political power to to talk to Silco, who's the main bad guy in the entire show, and Silco. You see Silco at this point, he's very manipulative. He's very powerful in the way, in his ways of words, you know, you know, he could, he could, uh, you know, jab with, with words and does really well in verbal spars. But Jace, Jace at this point has become so good and so, so politically just better since the start of the show that he basically just lays it out for Silco. Look, we have Hextech and, and we just completely destroyed one of your bases. And I know that if I build out a bunch of weapon, Hextech weapons, that we would absolutely annihilate you guys. And if you and I don't want to do that, I don't want to I don't want to kill a bunch of children. I don't want to I don't want to destroy your burn down your cities. So I am offering you this one chance and we'll 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 play ball. We'll we'll turn Piltover and Zon right now are interconnected and we'll we'll give you your free for uh We'll give you your freedom and financial independence, but you got to play ball here because otherwise we will destroy you. <laughs> and so, and I think I think that to me that's that shows how much Chase has grown and changed as a character from when we first see him and first really experiencing him in episode two. And we'll see what happens with him in uh, season two. Uh, some crazy stuff happens, so we'll see we'll see how he kind of continues to grow on as well. All right, so. Uh, Talking about Jason, talking about kind of the good guys, let's talk a little bit about uh, the bad guys here. Or not the bad guys, the the complex the complex anti-heroes is what I would call them. Because I don't ever feel in this show that it labels somebody as quite so bad. Except for maybe this person. And that's Silco, and I labeled him the king of the underground. And so... Silco is one of these interesting characters where... And I hope I don't spike my mic there. Silco is one of these interesting characters that takes a little bit of time to process uh, who he is and what he is. And uh, I, I really appreciated him more on the second rewatch of the show as as you kind of see Silco and like the little decisions that he decides to make. And I think he is one of the best villains of 2020 and maybe my second favorite character in terms of villainy uh, out there uh, outside of Father Paul and Midnight Mass. If you have listened to that episode or are going to listen to this episode. I'm trying to record these two back to back. So a little behind the scene curtains pick uh, there. But uh, to me, he's one of the main reasons the show goes from being a pretty good show to being pretty great. Because when we first meet Silco in the end of the first episode, he can come off. He comes off as very like uh, very dastardly. Like he has like this big giant evil uh, uh, Zaron looking uh, eyeball. Uh, he he looks like the epitome of evil. But as you kind of continue on and you see him kind of develop in the show, you understand that he is, he is not like as straightforward as you might think. Uh, like Vander, he seems to have seen um, the mistreatment of Zahn by the people of Piltover. He has seen the horrors of war. And what he kind of took away from the battle with Piltover uh, from before the series progressed is that if he really wants to succeed and he really wants to beat somebody that is technologically just better than him in every single way. He needs to be really ruthless and really cunning if he is going to even stand a chance at fighting against somebody like that. And in some ways, that is kind of respectable about uh, Silco, is that he doesn't ever use uh, brute force himself. He very much is somebody that uses that uses other people and uses his loyalties to other people to um, 
to better position himself in in whatever battle that he is going up against. And there's a lot of scenes where Silco is just a straight up BA where he just enforces his power. Uh, one of one of the scenes that stand out is um, is when he has the meeting with all of the council members of the Undercity, and he just starts he starts infecting the meeting with the uh, with, with the uh, the fumes of of uh, the city of Zon, and he starts poisoning everybody uh, with like this light poison, and he's just basically walking around without a mask on, uh, which is uh, you know pretty baller in <laughs> 2022 uh, when this is coming out. Uh, but he's also he's just giving like this really great monologue, and he's watching Marcus, who's kind of his main rival, just choke, and he tells him like, "Look, you guys have been so." so gotten so used to living this luxury lifestyle up here but don't don't forget where we came from and then he takes one giant inhale of his uh of his mask and then just throws it on the ground with marcus and it's pretty it's pretty awesome even though again not really an action scene but it's just it's just a great showing of like how much power and how much how much just brute force that he can have without having like you know like the build of somebody with like brute for devilish force. Um, and it's very clear that, you know, like in any given situation, you just have everybody in the room killed, which is interesting. Uh, you combine this with his relationship with Jinx. Now something happens in episode three that I won't spoil, but his relationship, but what ends up happening is he basically ends up adopting powder, AKA Jinx. And you combine that with his relationship with her and it becomes instant. It becomes way more intense. I've seen arguments to say that, you know, Silco's just like a kind of guy that will use Jinx no matter what, and that he was willing to sell her out um, at the end of the at the end of the series. Uh, part of Jace and Silco's deal in terms of giving uh, Silco independence for the city is on is that he had to turn Jinx in and Jinx is very much, you know, his daughter. And so it be, it, it is really interesting to see. And I think for me, the smoking gun argument that he would have turned in uh, Jinx is the fact that they end up voting at the very end uh, for Zahn's uh, Zahn's independent. And if he hadn't told Jace, hey, I'm going to turn Jinx in uh, for you, then I don't think they would have voted on that and eventually like unanimously agreed to do that. And so to me, that's one of the bigger that's one of the bigger things that points to the fact that Silco is not willing to do it. but there's other things. The fact that it's it's very clear that Jinx does that Silco does care for Jinx, and when Jinx is injured on the bridge fi- after a bridge fight, that he turns her that he turns her over to like this kind of insane doctor to try to heal her, no matter what what the struggle is. And he seems to really really believe in her uh, when nobody else really seems to. Not even uh, Vi to a certain extent. Like like uh, one of Silco's things that he tells Jinx is that he thinks that she's perfect. And I think that's, it's really interesting because you can take that one of two ways. Is he saying that because he wants, because he really believes it? Or is he saying that because he's kind of using emotional manipulation? And honestly, uh, I I really don't know. I I have no idea. Uh, But it is, it is one of these, it is one of these uh, interesting moments. And then, um, and so, and another thing I really like about Silco, and I don't think I've written down here, but uh, one thing to point out is that Silco is is not necessarily he believes that he's doing good, right? He's not one of these like classic like uh, you hear it to death like a good villain is somebody that that believes what they're doing is right, and I don't think that necessarily is Silco. I think that what makes Silco interesting is that he knows that his methods are incredibly underhanded, and he knows that what he is doing is probably uh, wrong, but 
but he is willing to do that in order to help out his people. And that's what makes him very interesting. Like he's very brutal and very, uh, very hardcore because of that reason. And so that's what I like about Silco. And, and that's why I think he is maybe my favorite villain of the year. But of course, all this, all this, and we finally get to the main event and that's Jinx. And we're, and I don't have a ton written about Jinx as much as maybe people were expecting, probably because I was a little bit tired when I was writing the script. But uh, you uh, seeing seeing Powder and and seeing Powder's journey to become Jinx is just so interesting and just so incredibly sad. And it is it is the heart and soul of the show is the uh, relationship between Vi and Jinx and seeing how they both kind of came from nothing and seeing how it really broke Powder uh, completely down and. You could still see that it broke vibe, but she is very much like different. And seeing how how these two characters kind of deal with this trauma of like their early childhood is just so interesting, and so and the real hook of the show. And what's really sad about uh, Powder and Jinx is we kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, Powder constantly wants to help. Powder Powder and Jinx constantly want to do something that helps out whoever they're aligned with. Uh, The biggest example being in episode three, when Powder decides that she is going to she is going to build like this massive bomb to try to help out her family. And it just goes horribly, horribly awry for her. And that's kind of the real changing point of when she loses, loses that side of herself and fully kind of becomes Jinx. Uh, We also see it with with her relationship with Silco. Uh, Whenever she feels like she is being left out is when she becomes very aggressive and very and very dangerous. And there's I don't think there's a character as as dangerous as Jinx that I've seen in quite some time that is just that at any given moment you're very afraid of, but also at any given moment that you're kind of sympathetic towards, which is very interesting. Uh, her battle, or like the highlight of the show, and one of the big highlights of the show is her battle with her old childhood friend of Echo. And seeing the animation on display there is just absolutely stunning. I can't, I can't, I can't word vomit enough how great that that fight is. But there's a moment where she is getting beat up pretty badly and Echo is about to deal like a final death blow. But for like a brief moment, he sees like powder and he sees the person that he grew up with. And in that moment, she just completely takes advantage of him and gets the upper hand. And it is it is just really sad. Uh, She also is very much... uh, a deeply flawed character in so many ways, like just so many ways. But that's what I also kind of love about her as well, is that, again, it's, it's never one note. Uh, she comes off to me as very controlling, and it makes a lot of sense why she wants so much control. Her relationship with Vi at the end of Act 2 and seeing Vi get closer to other people like uh, Caitlyn really bothers her in a way. Like, she doesn't want to be left alone again. Because throughout her entire life, she's been left alone. She's been looking for father figures. And unfortunately for her, her father figures just keep on dying over and over again. And some, and in two cases, the results of exactly what she does and her decision making. And so that's what I think is so interesting about Jinx. And it'll be more interesting, I think, going into season two, uh, seeing where she kind of lands. I, I don't know if she'll have a redemption arc or anything like that. It will take quite a bit. Uh, at this point for her to be redeemed uh, in my head. But it doesn't take away from the fact that she is a very interesting and complex kind of, not villain per se, but just wild card. Like, there's, you never know at any given scene what Jinx is going to do. 
Like she may very much have like a very fun, casual conversation. And then all of a sudden you have a bomb on your back and you're like, oh, my gosh, this person's going to die. And it blows up and it's just like this party favor. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like (laughs) what's going on? Uh, Jinx definitely definitely would be a tough hang for me. But uh, but it is it is the her relationship with Vi is the key to the show working uh, as well as it does. And it is. It is one of it is one of the more interesting character arcs that I've seen this year, and it it really cements the show uh, to me. So, I think I think Arcane, in conclusion, like I think Arcane is by far the greatest video game property that's been interpreted into a different medium. Uh, League of Legends uh, has no lore, and it it makes a lot of sense for Riot Games to do something like this. They put like six years of development into this one show, and I think it was a very very smart decision. Um, I've, I haven't played League of Legends since I was in high school uh, because it's League of Legends. And so I didn't want to like deal with that myself. But because of the show, I, I turned on League of Legends. I bought Vi for a pack. Uh, it cost me like $5 and uh, I had an okay time. And that's that's the power of the show. It makes you get, it makes you want to relive your uh, toxic childhood memories <laughs> from your past. And so I would highly recommend it. It is maybe my favorite show of 2020 by far. And um and that's why I would recommend it. Um, anyway, next week uh, we'll be covering. I believe. I believe I will release this one first, uh, and then next week we'll be covering uh, Midnight Mass, which is my second favorite show of the year, and it also has my favorite character of the year. Um, I've started a Patreon uh, uh, for for the podcast and just kind of for uh, for uh, my general stuff because I don't want to really do a lot of ad reads uh, if I can help it. Um, I might do an ad read. I mean, if like, here's the thing, right? Like, uh, Lincoln Riley said that he wasn't going to transfer out of Oklahoma City to Notre Dame, but then they threw a bunch of money at him. And then all of a sudden he was like crusty, like, he was like crusty the clown, uh, <laughs> when he built, uh, uh, in The Simpsons, when they built, um, the crusty the clown land where he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Oklahoma Sooners fans, but they just offered me so much money and I couldn't help it. So if a sponsor decides to do that, then obviously I'm going to take the sponsorship deal, but I want to prolong that as much as possible. Uh, if I can get uh, help from like from any listeners and stuff like that, uh, it's um, Patreon uh, dash how it's going so far. Uh, that's That'll be the network. It'll also help out uh, just because I don't really want to do... Uh, my work per se all my life like I work as like a web developer and sometimes that job can get very stressful I'd rather be more focused on creating different types of content like I'm doing the podcast now because uh, I used to do like YouTube videos and I still have a couple of those up but like the editing process and hiring an editor versus like editing myself and not really having time editing it myself was a major factor in me quitting that because like I wasn't making any money on it and it just felt like a waste of time if if it and it was not something I could do like strictly as a hobby versus like this, which is like fun. And I can like edit this, do it pretty, do some pretty quick edits and make it sound pretty, pretty uh, quality. Uh, so anyway, uh, if you want to support the podcast, uh, uh, go ahead and, and I'll put a link to the, our Patreon uh, on the bottom. We have a couple other projects coming up. I'm going to be doing some show rewatches uh, with uh, some different guests, uh, specifically the X-Files, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, rewatching that show and uh, that will also all the money would help uh, fund that project as well and anyway that's it for today's episode Uh, my name is David Shire and that's how it's been going so far